Now, one more kind of announcement-y type thing. One thing that I th we're going to try for the next couple weeks is something we're going to call God, Me, and the Pandemic. And what it's going to be is once a week, we're going to have a family group, individuals, some people come up and answer some questions. Those questions. Um, just so we can kind of re-relate to each other, kind of reflect on what, what has this been for me? What has is, what is this last year and a half or so been like? And kind of work to reconnect. So the first question is how much am I different now than I was, we'll get to how long, but you know, back, back last March. How much am I the same? How much am I different? How much have I stayed the same? How much have I grown, changed? The next question, what was the thing that gave me life during the pandemic? What was something that I enjoyed, or that good that came out of it? And then, what was the hardest thing to go through during the last year or so? And then the last question will be, how did you see God show up for you? How did you see God the most? Or how did God come through for you in a powerful way during this pandemic? So throughout the coming weeks, get ready for a text or an email from me asking you to come up and answer those questions. And I will, when, it, when, when I call on you, I'll, I'll resend you the questions and everything so you don't have to memorize them. But just kind of start ruminating about them, start thinking about them. Because I think that would just be a fun way to walk through this and reflect through this time together. Sound good? Yeah, yeah, all right. Oh, that's deep. All right. Um, so, does anyone know how long it has been since the last time we were here? Any guesses? Come on, throw out numbers. Any guesses? How many weeks? Seventy-five? Seventy? Eighty? You, you guys are real close. It has been 65 Sundays since we were here last together. That's a long time. And the last time we were here, Deep preached. She talked about how can we use times of exile and wilderness times to grow and to learn. That almost feels prophetic now, right? Like, thinking back on it. All right, so let's think about that. What are some things we've learned? Well, one, Dee's never allowed to preach again, because last time she did, it took us 65 weeks to recover from it. <laughs> but, exactly, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> but, what have we learned from our time, we would call it exile? What have we learned from the great church diaspora of 2020? How have we grown? Well, to help us answer that, Let's turn back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' three-chapter keynote address, keynote speech, whatever you want to call it, really talking about what it's like to follow him. So I'm going to dive right back in where we left off last week, Matthew 5, and I'm going to start at verse 17. Don't even begin to think that I have come, that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of these, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But... 
Whoever keeps these commandments and teaches people to keep them will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. This is a really interesting passage because over the years, it has been used by a variety of different groups of Christians to argue basically things that are polar opposites. I have seen this passage used as, as quoting why tattoos are evil. I have seen it used for quoting why tattoos are okay. I have heard people quote this for why we should never read Harry Potter. I've heard it quoted to why it's okay for us to read Harry Potter. I have heard this quoted as to why Sabbath has to be sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. I've heard it quoted as why it doesn't matter when your Sabbath is so long as we're resting. You see how exhausting this, this passage can be? So why is there such a disparate view of this passage? And what does it mean for us today sitting here in this room? What are, these four, what are we supposed to glean out of these four verses? I think some of the differing views of this passage comes from not seeing it all together, these four verses together. Because if you look at the first three, verses 17, 18, and 19, what kind of idea do you get? Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. Whoever ignores the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest. When we look at just these three verses, we get this idea that every single Old Testament law, every single law of Moses, is supposed to still be followed. So, men, your sideburns, are they shaved? Sinners. How many people are wearing, like, a cotton polyester blend shirt? Into the bin. Can't wear that. So do you see how drastically our lives would change if that were the case? If we took these three verses by themselves. But then we get to verse 20. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So is Jesus saying that the Pharisees and the legal experts are not currently lined up to go into the kingdom of heaven? That doesn't seem to make sense, Jesus, because you just said you haven't come to abolish the law. That anyone who ignores it will be called the least. And if there's one thing that the Pharisees and the legal experts did amazingly well, it was follow the law. To the point that they would often make new laws as hedges around existing laws. So kind of, here, here's an example, a more modern example. Some of you know I used to be an archaeologist. And specifically when you're looking at historic archaeology, the official definition is that anything 50 years or older is a historic artifact. So I know I'm sorry to some of the people in this room. She, she's proud of it. <laughs> she's claiming it. Um, now, projects could take a long time. It could be years from the time I first identify something to the time it's potentially being dug up. So what would happen if we found something that was 48 years old? But by the time the project came around, it was going to be, you know, 50, 51, 52 years old. So 
some organizations, some entities, agencies decided, all right, we're going to bump this 50-year mark back to 45. That'll give us some buffer. That'll give us some flexibility, right? So we find something 45 years old. It, it'll still be, we'll still grab it in time for our project window. But then that idea just kind of continued. Oh, what if we find something 44 years old? And we know the project's going to be five, six years. Oh, do, do we include that in? Do we not? I worked with one agency that had us flag anything 35 years or younger because it was going to be this long, multi-phase highway project. So you can see just how quickly what the law is is really pushing away from the intent, what the law is supposed to do. And I think that's our key factor here. When do the laws themselves, the words of the law, get in the way of the intent of the law? Jesus highlights this when he talks about righteousness. Jesus says that our righteousness has to be greater than our love of the law themselves, right? I would argue that's what the intent, what he's arguing here, that righteousness is supposed to be at a higher level than the you know, X, Y, Z of exactly what the law is saying. Righteous, and righteousness itself means more than just being just. It carries with it this idea of innocence, of justice, even to the point of social and community justice. So here's, here's something that I think is cool. We have here the Semitic word for righteousness, sadak. It has all these definitions, innocent, just, you know, uh, social justice, community justice, all of that. But if you take that word and put it in the form that would be for us righteousness, uh, zedakah, we get the word that is literally translated charity. That's seemingly a, a long way from justice, from following the law exactly, to charity. I think, I think that's a cool distinction and a good way for us to kind of think about and remember what is righteousness. So, let's put this together so far. Jesus is saying that the law is still important. He's saying, you know, he did not come to abolish the law. But what is behind the law, the intent of the law, is just as, if not more, important. What is behind the law? Righteousness. Charity. God's love. And now... In this context, God's love is being fulfilled right before them in Jesus. Jesus is literally God's love incarnate in front of them. And so Jesus is saying, things are going to look a little different. But the undercurrent remains exactly the same. And Jesus says this directly when he sums up all of Mosaic law, all of the Old Testament laws in those two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Everyone remember that? When Jesus sums everything up in those two things, if you can follow those two things, you're hitting all of the Old Testament laws. You're hitting the intent behind everything in those laws. So though things might look different, the mission remains the same. So let's think about that for us here. What did we learn from our time in the wilderness? I think we learned a lot of things, but 
I think one of the big things we learned was that though things looked different, our mission remained the same. For the past 65 weeks, River Tree has looked different. It has not been the same setup, has not been the same quote-unquote church every Sunday morning. But our mission has remained exactly the same. And a mission that I think we sought after amazingly well. A mission we chased by making cards for some of our most isolated companions in our community on multiple occasions. A mission we fulfilled by collecting food for our community on several occasions for several different entities, for Hitch's Pantry, for other organizations in our community. A mission we fulfilled by celebrating together, by living life together as a family. A mission we fulfilled by providing school supplies for local children in need. A mission Leo fulfilled by collecting peanut butter and jelly on his birthday to help feed hungry families in the community. A mission we fulfilled by laughing together as a family. Again, that idea of living life together. A mission we fulfilled by helping support some of our frontline workers who were fighting to get us back to something that resembled normalcy. A mission we fulfilled by reaching out to our students, by hosting a community movie night. A mission Audrey fulfilled by collecting shoes for needy children. The crate bins behind them are stuffed with shoes. A mission we fulfilled by partnering with Johnny and Friends for an awareness walk and to spread word. A mission we fulfilled by hosting a Christmas paint night for students in our community. And this one even had students from around the country participate. A mission we fulfilled by going to Haven of Grace, decorating, talking with mothers, talking with uh, students, not students, talking with their kids there. Well, some of them might be students, I don't know. But talking and just showing love. And these are just the ones I could find decent pictures of. There were a plethora of other ways we fulfilled this mission. So think about the last time we were here in this room. There are people who were here that are no longer here. There are people who will not hear that are here and are watching online. Think about your own personal life. For some of us, there are people we loved that are no longer a part of our lives the last time we were gathered here. For some of us, people we did not know are now an amazingly important part of our lives that we're, we didn't even know who they were 65 weeks ago. A lot has changed since that drizzly Sunday last March when we were here together. But a couple things have not changed. One thing that has not changed is the new James Bond movie has not come out yet. 
that movie was scheduled to come out two weeks after we met here last. And it is not slated to come out now until November. So we beat James Bond back. So that's got to feel good, right? We're doing better than 007 is. But one of the important things that have not changed <laughs> is <clears throat> our mission has not changed. Our call has not changed. Things look different. Things are different. But our call remains the same. And that call is to show God's righteousness to those around us. To tell of God's goodness to the people we meet. To be God's mercy to the people we see. I cannot tell you how incredibly proud I am of the people in this room, the people watching, and the entire River Tree family. Over the past year and a half, how quickly this group, how quickly we have adapted, adjusted, sought after new ways to show God's love into this community. We had to do some really creative thinking. We had to not only get outside of the box, but in some instances had to completely smash it, blow it up to figure out how best to reach our community. And it's something we've done. We're continually being creative, trying to seek out new ways to fulfill that mission. Now, there's been a good deal of back padding this morning, right? And, de and deservedly so. It's kind of a celebration of what we've been able to do. But it's important that we not only celebrate what we've been able to do in this bizarre season, but to also challenge us, to also push us, stem us forward, that we continue this process. We can't now that we're back in Selvig just simply fall back to old patterns and just go back to exactly how things were. We can't take our foot off the gas and just kind of coast into, into what we were doing. We have grown some incredibly strong, creative ministry muscles. We can't let those atrophy. We have to keep flexing them. We have to keep growing them. That's our challenge now. We've been through an incredibly difficult season, and we've learned because of it. Now let's use what we've learned moving forward. Because things change. If this past year and a half has taught us anything, it is that life is not predictable. 65 Sundays ago, I don't think there was a single person here who would have guessed that that was the last time we'd be together in this room until this morning. So 65 Sundays from now, we have no idea how things are going to look. We have no idea what we're going to go through, both good or bad, what challenges are going to come our way, what amazing blessings are going to come our way. We don't know. Only God knows. But we can think of a few things that are going to be the same. One, there's still only about a 50-50 shot the new James Bond movie is going to be out by that point. It's been delayed so long, I'm, I'm convinced it's never coming out. But real things we can be confident of is that things will be different. We don't know how. We don't know to what capacity. But 65 Sundays from now, things will be different than they are right now. And I can also guarantee 
that our mission will be the same. It will not change from now until then. That mission to love God and to love people. It's up to us to decide how we fulfill that call, how we fulfill that mission. So let's keep chasing after that mission. Let's keep striving after it to the best of our abilities. Let's constantly be on the lookout for ways, for new ways of thinking, for new creative avenues to spread God's love, to positively impact our community. 